My friends, my friends, my friends, what's happening? I'm back. It's been a hell of a week. There have been crazy wildfires. I'm on antibiotics. We've had the worst quality in the world in Kelowna. It's been a hell of a week. Yesterday, I had a hell of a meal. It was delicious. We tried a new restaurant downtown. We got takeout and it was a hell of a meal. It was so good. It was also quite affordable, which is rare these days. I watched a movie on Netflix the other day. It was called To Catch a Killer. I thought it was a hell of a movie, but my wife didn't. Mainly because she just browsed online about the wildfires and didn't really pay attention to it. It's been a hell of a week for BC. We currently have well over 300 active wildfires. The resources are spread thin. The federal government are coming to help. But folks, it's been a hell of a week. It's been one hell of a week. What does it mean when I say one hell of or it's been a hell of a week? Is it positive? Is it negative? Or is it both? It's both. And in this podcast, we're going to look into that phrase as well as many, many others. So sit back. Grab a coffee, a beer, a whiskey, a joint, a bong, mushrooms, acid, LSD, cocaine, water, whatever your poison is, and get ready to learn about the phrase or the idiom, hell of a, and much, much more. So to start, the phrase, it's been a hell of a, plus noun, a hell of a, plus noun, it can be either good or bad. If I say, this is a hell of a sandwich, It's positive. It's like the best sandwich I've ever had. Context is key, though. For me, it's been a hell of a week. I'm going to let you be the judge to determine if my week was good or bad, positive or negative. So last Thursday, I got a call from a friend. Told me to look out my window. I looked out and I saw smoke billowing up from the mountains across the lake. To billow. That's a verb used for smoke rising into the sky. There was a wild fire. He told me to get down to the shore as soon as possible. So my wife and I, we jumped in the car, started to drive to the lakefront to get a better view of the smoke. On the way, I pulled into the gas station because I had a feeling. I had a feeling there was going to be a rush on the gas stations. A rush on. That is an idiom, folks, and it's a bloody relevant and amazing idiom. If there is a rush on something, everyone tries to go there and get something at the exact same time. When economies are threatened, there might be a rush on banks. When there was a massive storm in BC, there was a rush on supermarkets. People went to the supermarkets in panic to buy as much food as possible. In times of emergencies, there may be a rush on pharmacies or hospitals. A rush on something is never good. It means that everyone wants to get something at the same time, which means that something may run out. Actually, recently in Ireland, there was a banking glitch. A glitch is a problem in software. A small problem or fault that prevents something from being successful or working as well as it should. So there was a glitch with AIB Bank in Ireland. You should absolutely Google this. Because of the glitch, people were able to take out as much money as they wanted, even if they had no money in their bank accounts. A lot of people went to various ATMs around the country and withdrew a whole whack of money. People who had no money in their bank accounts were able to withdraw thousands of euros. This caused a rush on ATMs around the country. ATMs were cleaned out of money due to the rush on them. Now here's the thing. A bunch of people withdrew money from their bank accounts even when they didn't have money in their bank accounts. They believed they were getting free money. 
But there's no such thing as free money. These people were not thinking long term because they are absolutely 100 million bazillion percent going to have to repay the money and probably repay the money with interest. So, due to the banking glitch, there was a rush on ATMs. Like I said, those people were gifted with a lack of foresight because of course the banks know who they are and they will 100% have to pay the money back. Absolute fools. Gifted with a lack of foresight. That's a damn good insult if I do say so myself. When a person is not gifted with foresight, they don't really think ahead. They don't anticipate problems. They only live in the now or think in the very, very short term. The people who took out money maybe did not realise they would have to pay it back, but they will. So they were gifted with a lack of foresight. They were not gifted with foresight, for instance. So where was I? Yes! My wife and I filled up the car and went to meet up with my friend who was down by the shore watching the fires across the lake. When we got to the shore, it was chock-a-block of people. It was crazy busy. Some people had brought camp chairs, telescopes, drinks, food, snacks just to watch the fire. It was insanely beautiful and scary. It's an odd thing to say, but I'm not joking. It was absolutely gorgeous. Let me paint a picture. It's the evening. To the south, you can see dusk. Dusk was setting in. To the north, you can see smoke rising into the sky. It's purple, it's blue, it's grey, it's black, it's white, it's layered, it's textured, it's gorgeous. The mountain is orange. There's an orange glow around the mountain. It was mesmerising. It was absolutely chaotic, but there was something strangely beautiful about it. Now, I understand a lot of people might think I'm crazy for saying that, but... When you see the clouds rising up to the sky, you really notice how small you are as a human. How tiny you are. Now the other side of the lake is about four kilometres from where we were standing, but you could see the wildfire spreading. You know, we have an idiom in English, to spread like wildfire, and I now appreciate that idiom a lot more. If something spreads like wildfire, it spreads quickly. The wildfire spread like wildfire. The flu spread like wildfire. Wildfire. Panic spread like wildfire before the storm. We could see the fire start in one area of the mountain and within minutes the entire surrounding area was also on fire. It was surreal. We would see a tree start to candle. To candle is a verb we use when the tip or the top of a tree catches fire probably due to an ember landing on it. And once a tree starts to candle, it starts a brand new fire. And within minutes or even seconds, all the trees around it would catch fire. When we were on the shore, we could see flashing lights of first responders across the lake driving up and down the roads. And they were going door to door to evacuate people. They were going door to door to make sure everyone was out of the area. Some people... Like if you were in your house and were not looking outside, maybe you wouldn't even realise there was a fire. That was until everyone's phone started to buzz with an emergency message from the BC government. Now that is scary, folks. Imagine you're hanging out with friends and suddenly everyone's phone starts to ring. Even if your phone is on silent, it starts to ring. It's a new thing the BC government introduced about a year or maybe two years ago. We get amber alerts when a child is kidnapped or missing. And that's when the BC government send out a message to every single person in the province, a town, an area, and they give information about the missing child, an amber alert. In the amber alert, they include the name of the child, the appearance, who they might be with, or what car they might be in. And the idea is that everyone keeps an eye out for that child, for the person, or for something. You know, it basically wants everyone to be vigilant. If there is an active shooter in the area, they will send a message out saying, stay indoors, lock a door, stay home. If there's a severe weather front coming in, like a snowstorm, a blizzard, or extreme heat wave, they will send a message out advising you to be careful and what steps to take. 
It's not something they do on a regular basis. So when it happens, you should absolutely take it seriously. Do you have those in your country? Can the government send a message to every single person? Will your phone ring on loud even if you have it on silent? Personally, I think it's a good idea. But it can only be used in extreme circumstances because otherwise people will ignore it. So we are watching the fires with our friends and then our phones ring. Everyone, Everyone's phone rang in the area. And it's such a weird noise because it's not just like your normal ringtone. It's an emergency ringtone. You, you can't choose the type of ringtone. So everyone's phone started ringing at the same time. That's when you know shit's getting real. So we're looking across the lake. Watching the mountain catch fire. Watching the smoke rise. To make matters worse. The wind picked up. The wind got stronger. By the end of the evening, we had about 50, 60, 70 kilometer per hour winds. The worst case scenario for a wildfire. Nothing, and I mean absolutely nothing, can stop a wildfire when the winds are that strong. And you have to understand, we haven't had rain in this area for maybe two months. Like a proper rain shower, so everything is bone dry and ready to go up in flames. After about an hour of watching the fire, my wife and I hit the road home. And there was like a sense of uneasiness or fear in everyone around. You know, you're driving home and you see people packing up their cars. You see people staring at the mountains. You see long lines outside the gas stations. You get this feeling that like something real bad is going to happen. So we got home, we sat on the couch, we opened our laptops and we see some terrible news. Absolutely terrifying news. The fire jumped the lake. The lake, which is about four kilometres wide, was jumped. And that means that the fire spread from one side of the lake to the other side of the lake. Literally the worst case scenario. When you have a wildfire... The government, the officials, the firefighters, they do their best to make sure the highways stay open so they can move supplies, logistics and people can escape. But the big fear is that a wildfire will jump a highway and thus close a highway. And if a a fire jumps a highway, that means two sides of the highway are on fire. It's incredibly difficult to drive in because the smoke is just beyond belief. The temperature rises. Your tires could literally melt. And if you don't believe me, just Google wildfire, wildfire highway. And there's countless videos of people trying to drive on a highway surrounded by fire. I honestly would hate to be in that situation. We we knew it could jump the lake, we just didn't think it would. Or maybe we just hoped it wouldn't. So the wildfire, combined with the high levels of wind, was a recipe for disaster. An ember spread from one side of the lake to the other side of the lake. Now here is a crazy, crazy fact for you. Embers can travel over 40 kilometres in the air. You heard me. 40 kilometres in the air, an ember can travel. Then it can land and it can start a brand new fire. Did you know that? I mean, I knew embers could travel, but I did not know they could travel 40 freaking kilometers. Embers are often as hot as the fire which created them. So during a fire, an ember can travel up to 40k, start a new fire or a spot fire, well ahead of the fire front, often without warning. So you imagine you're fighting the fire and you're facing the fire and then 40 kilometers behind you another fire starts. That is dangerous. So folks, an ember, if you don't know, is like a hot coal. It's a hot lump of smouldering solid fuel. It could be wood, it could be coal, it could be something that is just full of heat. And embers can exist within, they can remain after a fire, they can precede a fire, and embers are, as I said, as hot as the fire which created them. In this case, the ember could be part of a tree, it could be a leaf, it could be anything that caught fire and just travelled in the air. You know, the wind, 60 kilometres an hour, picked it up, brought it to the other side of the lake, it could land in a tree, it could land in a bush, and boom, it could take off once more. And that's exactly what happened. What's also crazy 
is that embers can stay hot for up to four days. That means that four days after a fire has been put out or extinguished, there could still be hot embers. Four days is for an ember. But trees, tree roots, they can burn for months. Absolute mayhem. Months. I am not joking you. The root of a tree can catch fire underground and can stay hot for months. And that means that when you think the coast is clear, if wind picks up again, it could reignite a fire. Wildfires are deadly. Absolutely lethal. Like, I don't know if you've ever been around a campfire outside or a big bonfire. But like, you know, you put the fire out, but it doesn't mean the coals are out. Those coals, even if you put water over them, they can still retain the heat. And if you blow on it, or if the wind blows on it, you can see it start to glow again. That's a huge danger here right now. Wildfires can start months after you extinguish a fire. So not only did this ember travel and start a new fire, it started a new fire near a residential area. And that is when shit really, really hit the fan. Make a note of that idiom, folks. It's a great one. When shit hits the fan, everything that can go wrong does go wrong. Kind of like my Murphy's Law podcast. Where everything that could go wrong did go wrong. Shit hit the fan on my way home last Christmas. Well, shit hit the fan in Kelowna recently enough. When that ember travelled across the lake, landed on our side of the lake, shit hit the fan. Within minutes, and I mean absolute minutes, a bunch of houses were placed on evacuation order. And that means that you've got to get the fuck out of your house and away from the area as soon as possible. No waiting around. Grab your family. Grab your car keys. Get the fuck out of your house now. Do not stop for anything. Just get out. Nothing is more important than your life. I know some people that live in the area where the second fire started and my heart absolutely goes out to them. They just picked up their kids, threw them in the car and away they go. Left everything behind. As they drove away, the firefighters drove towards the fire. Hats off to them. Hats off to them. That's like fair play, compliments to them. I admire them. So needless to say, my wife and I, we hardly slept a wink that night. That was last Thursday. I'm recording this on August 24th, by the way. I had planned to record it sooner and I'll explain why I didn't. But uh, yeah, so one week ago, we hardly slept a wink. We actually prepared a go bag. A go bag. Very important word in BC these days. And a go bag is something that every single person should have prepared. In fact, my wife and I are now planning to have a go bag ready 24-7. What is a go bag? And what do you put in a go bag? Good question. A go bag is like a backpack with enough supplies to survive for 72 hours. A go bag is a backpack that contains your most important possessions. Not valuable, important. I currently have a go bag ready. In my go bag I have protein bars, some tins of tuna, a full set of clothes with extra warm clothes. I got some water, I got documents like my passports. Plural, because I'm a dual citizen, I'm Irish and Canadian, so I have two passports. We actually have our marriage certificate in it. Our citizenship documents. Headlamps. The rope we used when we got married. It's very symbolic for us. It goes back to the old Irish tradition of literally tying the knot, tying your hands together. And uh, we have that rope hung up in our house. It's the one that we actually used on our wedding day. It's incredibly sentimental for us. And it is 100% in the go bag. To be honest, it's more important than the certificate or anything else. I have a radio. I have a whistle. Some hygiene supplies. Like toothpaste, toothbrush, tampons, wipes, all that sort of stuff. And cash. Cash is king in an emergency situation. But of course, the most important thing for a go bag is medicine. It's also wise to take pictures of your medicine and send them to your family or friends in case you lose your medicine so they can send you a picture, go to a pharmacy and get your medicine again. In an emergency situation, they might give you a few days supply even without the proper prescription. The go bag should be placed by your door and you should be able to get up, walk out your door and go. And it was quite interesting to prepare one because you see just how valuable certain things are around your house. You see just how valuable some items are and how useless other ones are. 
in my car right now, I have a rucksack. Like a big hiking bag. With some extra non-essential supplies. I have extra clothes in my car. I have some of my swim gear in my car, camp gear. But the most essential items go in my go bag. When we were preparing our bags for the car, we noticed just how little we care for the shit that we have in our house. Yeah, it's nice to have a million bucks, but they are non-essential. It's nice to have a big TV, but screw it, let it burn if it has to. If you had to prepare a go bag, or if you had to choose five items to save from your house, what would you take? Think about it right now. If you're at home, look around. How long would it take you to prepare a go bag and walk out your door? It's something that I never really considered. I never really thought I would have to do. But remember, absolutely remember, there is a slight difference between valuable and important. What items are important? What items are valuable? Very interesting. So that was Thursday night. You know, we hardly slept a wink, as I said. Thankfully, I wasn't working on Friday. So it wasn't too bad that I actually stayed up extra late. You have to understand, folks, I'm usually in bed at like 9 or 9.30 the latest. So this was like 2 a.m. before I finally turned in. Mainly because like we're listening to the radio. We're looking at the Facebook groups and stuff like that. So, yeah. So uh, in the morning, um, it gave everyone a chance to survey the damage. And Jesus Christ, was there a lot of damage. A hotel was burnt down. A lot of structures were lost, but thankfully no lives were lost. However, some people did ignore the evac notices and they did get stuck in the water and had to be rescued by boats. That really irked me. To irk. To piss you off. To annoy you. You know, people ignored the official government warning to evacuate your house and as a result, they put more lives at risk because people had to rescue them. I know some people think they know better, but honestly, just listen to the experts in a case like this. Let's talk a little bit about the sense of panic that was around Kelowna on Friday. So, Friday was an odd day around Kelowna. It was quite ominous. Ominous, that is an absolutely wonderful high-level adjective. And it means that something is given the impression that something bad or unpleasant is going to happen and threatening. You can use it for people or you can use it for situations. And the situation on Friday was quite ominous. I looked out my window, smoke everywhere. An orange hue in the sky where the sun usually is. Neighbours were throwing everything into their cars and driving away at speed. It was like something from a movie, I'm not going to lie. Now, I do think some people overreacted. Like, the ones who live downtown. We live in a city. We live near a hospital. It was always going to be protected. There are fuck-all trees around us. Yeah, we might have some fires near us, but we also have fire hydrants, like water hydrants. We also have a fire station just down the road. You know? It's not enough to warrant an evacuation of a major city. And in my opinion, some people panicked. And panic is dangerous and contagious. One example of panic that I noticed was happening on Facebook. So Facebook was very useful for these events. You know, there's many good local community Facebook groups. And they were offering help to each other, which is wonderful to see. However, one thing that really, really stood out to me was how people react to inconveniences. For example, there is an area of Kelowna called Rutland. Rutland lost power on Saturday afternoon. So I was on the Facebook groups looking at the posts and everyone was talking about it. Now in BC, we have a company called Fortis. Fortis are responsible for the power and electricity all over British Columbia. So when the power goes out, it's their job to restore the power. When I was a kid in Ireland, the power went out frequently. If there was a storm, you'd get the candles ready and expect the lights to go out. It was kind of exciting. When the power went out, we waited for it to come back. We'd play games, board games with candles or something. 
There was no way to tell how long it would take. The power company, they know the power is out and they will do whatever they can to make sure it comes back on ASAP as soon as possible. However, when the power went out in Rutland, everyone phoned Fortis to see when the power would come back on. I was reading comments from people who said, I'm on the phone to Fortis right now. I'm on hold. I guess everyone is calling them to see when the power will be back. I'll keep you posted when I talk to a human. Like, what the fuck do you want? Why can't you just sit back and wait for the power to come back on? Why do you have to call Fortis and get an estimated time when it will be back on? Do you honestly think that Fortis are going to work faster if you call? Do you think that Fortis will be happy to have a hundred people calling all asking the same questions? It really irked me. It really pissed me off. Perhaps it shouldn't have, but it did. It made zero sense to me. You know, it really pissed me off when a person called Phillips RM commented, saying, and I quote, I'll post an update if I get a human on the phone. They're overloaded, I'm sure. End quote. Yes, Phillips RM, they are overloaded with assholes like you. Hang up your phone, sit down and wait. Okay, now I feel better after venting about that. So panic is never good. And throughout this wildfire situation, there was definitely some panic. And in my opinion, the majority of it was not warranted. However, that's what happens when panic occurs. I'll be honest, I was worried. I did panic a little bit. But I didn't let the panic take over. At one point, my wife and I sat down, took a deep breath, and we started to rationally think about it. And that's when we decided, you know, to absolutely make sure that we had a tank full of gas in the car. We had five gallons of water in the car. Like, we have a huge jug of water that we usually bring camping. So we had that ready to go. We had our tent and we had our go bags beside the door ready to walk out if we had to. We had food for 72 hours prepared. And then we sat down and we thought about it. And, you know, we really, really thought about it. Like, hey, there's a hospital down the road from us. We live in downtown Kelowna. We live near the water. So if shit, like, really hit the fan, we would just go down to the water, wade in the water or jump on a boat and we'd be fine. And once we sat down, took a moment to breathe and rationally thought about it, we didn't panic. So, yeah. That was just something that was super, super interesting to notice. How people react to wildfires. How people react to a lack of power in their neighborhood. All in all, I can say patience is key. And remaining level-headed. Which I understand is incredibly easy for me to say. And it's a lot easier said than done. Now, one thing which did help the panic was... The fact that how good the city of Kelowna, the Okanagan emergency responders were excellent and how good they were with giving us information about the wildfire. You know, we were never kept in the dark about it. They were very forthcoming with all the information about it. And it's quite the opposite to other parts of BC that were 100% left in the dark. My friend lives in an area called a shoe swap. It's in its night and day between the responses, night and day, there is another idiom you should take note of. If something is night and day, it is used to describe a clear difference or change between two things. I live in Kelowna. My friend lives in the Shushwap. In the Shushwap, there was no information about the wildfires. Very, very little. In Kelowna, we had daily updates about the wildfires. Maybe hourly updates at times. However, in the shoe swap, they got next to nothing from the government. The response to the fires has been night and day. In Kelowna, we had choppers. We had manpower. We had a boatload of equipment. In the shoe swap, they felt abandoned and did not have nearly as many resources as we did. It's absolute night and day. We use this idiom to describe a massive difference between two things or a difference in one thing, one time to another time. 
After the teacher spoke to the student about their motivation, it was night and day. The student improved immensely. Since I quit drinking, it's been night and day. More motivation. I sleep better. Easier to concentrate. She got diagnosed and received treatment. It's been night and day. Here's the, here, here's the real one for you. I have a good friend. Like one of my best friends. And recently enough, he got diagnosed with ADHD. Attention Deficit Hyperactive Disorder. This means that it was very difficult for my friend to concentrate, to focus, or to stay on one task at a time. Without going into too much detail, my friend went to the doctor, got diagnosed, and got put on stimulants. Stimulants. Stimulants are a type of medicine that helps one focus. And since my friend got on stimulants, it's been night and day. He's been able to focus. See a task through from start to finish. It's absolutely amazing. Before the medicine, he was a little lost. Before the medicine, he was unable to see a task through. He was always labelled as like a difficult child in school because he was undiagnosed in school. However, now that he has received the treatment and medication he needs, he's a fucking machine. He has more motivation than he knows what to do with. He can see a task through easily. It's been beautiful to watch. Just a note, like, when my friend and I were in school in the 90s, there was very little care or talk about mental health. So he was undiagnosed. If you misbehaved, you were a bad child and you were in trouble with the teacher or the principal, you get detention, you get extra homework or something. However, if you misbehave in school today, they try to find out why, why you are misbehaving. If we were in high school today, the teacher would have recognised that his behaviour was not normal and would have been able to help him. It's absolutely amazing how different schools are today. In fact, schools are night and day today compared to the 90s when I was in school. Schools actually care for your mental health today compared to the past when they didn't know anything about it. If you caused trouble in class, they would just try to to kick you out of the class, but they wouldn't actually try to figure out why you're causing trouble. So it's absolutely night and day today. My friend's partner is actually an early childhood educator and she is trained to identify aspects of ADHD or other, say, mental processes in children from an early age because early intervention can make a world of difference. You know, my friend has been looking back at his life and all the different instances where he can really pinpoint moments where he got in trouble or moments where things didn't go the way he thought and it can a lot of it can be attributed to the undiagnosed ADHD. So it's absolutely night and day. Since my friend has taken medicine, it's been night and day and there is something to be said for medicine. So folks, if you are having issues or something, get it checked. Because you never know. You absolutely never know. And like I said, it has been a joy to watch. An absolute joy. Night and day. Fantastic idiom. Real example. So in Kelowna, we were not left in the dark. We were informed. We were kept in the loop. Now, a person on my Telegram made a very valid and great point. Today, we have an overload of information. These days... We have too much information and that may have led to people panicking. I couldn't agree more. I will be honest, I got caught up in it too. I panicked a little bit. I was planning routes out of town. I was, I had like multiple Facebook tabs open. I had Twitter open. I had the radio playing. I had the scanner playing so I could listen to the helicopters and the fire brigade and and everything like that. And it really was not good for my mental health. The best time I had was when I left the house and did not check my phone for constant updates. So there is something to be said for not following the news in an emergency situation 24-7. Once I realised that I I had an overload of information, I was able to step back and keep myself in the dark. So in future, for the next big emergency, I plan to stay up to date, but I do not plan to have 50 different tabs open all telling me I'm going to die, basically. 
So a brief timeline so far. On Thursday I finished work and noticed how smoke was rising from the mountain across the lake. A few hours later I went down to the shore to watch the fires and it was beautiful chaos. A bunch of houses were destroyed and it was scary. Then the fire jumped the lake on Thursday night. Possibly due to high winds, like I said it was a perfect storm, the fires, the heat, the dryness, the lack of rain, the wind, it all came together at the worst time possible and the fire spread like wildfire essentially. Didn't really sleep much on Thursday night. Car had a full tank of gas, my wife and I packed our go bags, got our most important and valuable possessions together in case we had to leave. We had road routes planned out in case we had to drive. Our plan was to drive south because the fires were to the north. We had planned to enter the USA if we had to. You know, we're not too far from the border, so it wouldn't have been too much of an issue. Woke up Friday morning, smoke everywhere. We kept in the loop on Friday. On Saturday, it was more or less the same story. Didn't really go outside because it was just chaos and smoke. By that time we had calmed down and we realised we were very, very safe in downtown Kelowna and the initial fear and panic wore off. On Friday there was quite the ominous feeling around Kelowna. I looked out my window, I saw my neighbours throw everything into the car and drive away. Went to the store and it was busy as fuck. Lines around the entire store like Christmas. We had planned to purchase some supplies but then decided to screw that as the line would have taken about an hour. We went to a restaurant and got burritos. And here's the thing, life goes on. People have work, people need money. I think once we saw all the restaurants open, people having coffee, people going for drinks, that we, we kind of knew it was going to be okay. So what else can I say about the wildfires? Well, like I said, today is August 24th and all has happened about a week ago. Thankfully, two nights ago we had rain and we were absolutely over the moon. Like, so, so, so happy. It must have rained all night. We actually moved into our neighbor's house because they have a better uh, air quality, like a better air filtration system compared to our apartment because they left town. They have a, a house or a cabin way up north, so they went there to avoid the smoke. They have a newborn baby, so I do not blame them one bit you know very very important the baby couldn't go outside it's a small apartment they would have got cabin fever so they went to a cabin how ironic is that and yesterday was like the first day we were actually able to see blue skies today is thursday and oh my god it is so nice outside it is so so beautiful like it is absolutely amazing all the windows are open in the house actually that was advised by the uh the local government to open all your windows let the air ventilate in your house and it is beautiful being able to go outside and take like a deep breath of fresh air something that you take for granted i guess <sighs> like i said i had planned to record this podcast a week ago but the fires and my illness kind of stopped any of the plans i had so here's some key english from the podcast so far a rush on a glitch. To spread like wildfire. Embers. Shit hit the fan. Night and day. Panic. Panic is contagious. Information overload. To be left in the dark. To be kept in the loop. To be up to date. To run dry. Yes. I don't think I finished that one. Alright, so I mentioned earlier how my wife and I got a full tank of gas last Thursday. Because we felt there was going to be a rush on the gas stations and we were all 100% right. On Thursday, I was chatting with my friend once I got back to the house. I asked him if he had a full tank of gas. He said no. I told him to get off the phone, go to the gas station ASAP, as soon as possible. He did. And he reported that the queues of cars was down the street. Everyone wanted gas. Now that's a problem. Not because gas stations don't have gas but because they're not prepared for this level of demand. They are prepared to deal with a set amount of customers every single day but not all at the same time. Some of the gas stations in Kelowna ran dry. On Friday I was driving around town just to take a look and some gas stations had closed. Others had lines and lines and lines of cars waiting to get in. Everyone needed and wanted gas. It was very ominous, very apocalyptic. 
Has that ever happened where you live? Has there ever been like a rush on gas stations? It's absolutely never good if there is a rush on gas stations. Like gas stations are able to handle a certain level of customers, but not all at the same time. So I mentioned to run dry. And if something runs dry, it doesn't have anything left. The gas stations ran dry. The well ran dry. The water supply ran dry. This means there's no gas left and no water left. And we generally use it for liquids. So folks, it's been a hell of a week. Positive or negative? Motherfucking negative, let me tell you that. It's been a hell of a week, a hell of a day, a hell of an hour. Now, to make matters worse, I'm on a course of antibiotics right now. And that's also why it's been a hell of a week. And that's also why I haven't been able to post anything in the last while. It really is, it really has been a shit show. Like an absolute shit show. I had so many plans for this week because I'm not working this week. I'm not working next week. And for the first part of my vacation, we'll say, there has been just smoke everywhere and I have felt like shit. It's been terrible. I haven't been able to do anything. The wildfires, the panic, the terrible air quality, the smoke, the lack of sunshine, the lack of blue skies, the information overload was all made worse because on Friday or Saturday, I started to get a pain in my upper back, just above my right shoulder. I was feeling around my neck and I noticed a small lump. And that's never good and it got me a little bit concerned. Now last week, before all the fires and before everything started off before shit hit the fan I completed my first ever long distance swim. I swam 4.5 kilometers in a beautiful crystal clear Cal Lake. Do me a favor and google Cal Lake just so you can see how gorgeous it is. K-A-L Lake. One of the most beautiful places to swim I'll be honest. I Definitely the most beautiful. Probably the most beautiful lake I've ever swam in. Now, I was wearing a wetsuit, but the wetsuit gave me chafing. C-H-A-F-F-I-N-G. Chafing is like a skin irritation that happens when your skin rubs against another part of your skin. It can also occur when your skin rubs against clothing or another material like a wetsuit. Repeated friction causes the condition. And I was swimming for 1 hour, 31 minutes, non-stop. And as a result of that swim, I had pretty bad chafing on my neck. It hurt like a motherfucker. Ooh, that's a sexy idiom. To hurt like a motherfucker. When is the last time you could have said, Wow, that hurt like a motherfucker. If something hurts like a motherfucker, it hurts a lot. I mean, there's been many times when I could have said that. When I was hit by a car on my bike, it hurt like a motherfucker. When I tore my ACL, it hurt like a motherfucker. When I had a ski accident, it hurt like a motherfucker. When I had blood clots for the first and second time, it hurt like a motherfucker. Blood clots. I'd only wish them upon my worst enemy, but not my second worst enemy. Only only my worst. When I damaged my rotator cuff playing rugby, it hurt like a motherfucker. Many, many times in my life, things have hurt like a motherfucker. I've been a bit careless about my body and maybe I kind of regret it now in my 30s. Anyways, this chafing hurt like a motherfucker but I did the swim so I didn't care. I was happy as a pig in shit. 4.5k in the bag. Next year I wanted to do 10 or 20k swims. I'm really into my endurance sports again and I couldn't be happier but that's a story for a different podcast. So fast forward a week after the swim and I notice a lump just over my right shoulder. I think it's a muscle knot. A muscle knot, which is like a painful, hardened spot that often forms on your shoulder, neck or back due to overuse, poor posture or other lifestyle factors and all of those combined can create a muscle knot. Now these painful knots often go away with treatment like massages, stretches or even acupuncture. Knots are comprised of tense muscle fibres. Muscle knots, according to the internet, are hyper-irritable spots in muscle or facial tissues and they all have trigger points. So a muscle knot 
It's like a really tense bit of muscle that has formed into a ball or something. It can generally be massaged out. It can be rubbed out. And so for all of Saturday, I was stretching it. I was massaging it. I was trying to break the muscle knot. My wife would try and massage it. And that was a terrible idea. Because it wasn't a fucking muscle knot. It was something way worse. Come Sunday morning, the muscle knot is still there and it actually got a little bigger. And that's when I started to wonder if it was something else. My wife went to work, I'm at home, I'm googling it, bad idea. I put pressure on it to try break it up, it feels good, but it's not going away. My wife gets home from work and, you know, we have a little chat about it and given my medical history, I have a history of blood clots, DVT, PE. For anyone who wants to know, for anyone who wants to know more about those, I suggest you hit DVT into Google and you'll see what I'm on about. So I have a history of blood clots and I decide to play it safe and go to hospital. Good fucking thing I did go to hospital. Turns out I have a pretty bad case of cellulitis. C E L L U L I T I S. And cellulitis is like a common bacterial skin infection that causes redness swelling and pain in the affected area of skin if untreated it can spread and cause serious problems good wound care and hygiene are important for preventing cellulitis i feel stupid forgetting cellulitis it's not like i'm dirty but i did not treat my chafing when it was exposed and as a result i got an infection and i got a big ass lump on my shoulder the doctor did an ultrasound on my shoulder and put me on a course of antibiotics for five days. It's frustrating because it's preventable, but I just dropped the ball. Trust me, I am not unhygienic, I swear. I can't remember the last time I was on antibiotics. You know, it's not common for doctors to give them out, and when they do, you know it's a serious case. A course of antibiotics, that, that's something that I said there. And we use that collocation to describe the period of time that you're on antibiotics. I'm on a course of antibiotics for five days in total. Today is day four of day five. I was put on antibiotics for five days. My doctor prescribed me antibiotics for five days. How do I feel? Tired. Honestly, it might explain why I was extra tired last week and this week. I didn't really work out after my swim. I was bloody exhausted. I'm guessing my body was fighting the infection and it wasn't winning. I was absolutely wiped on Sunday and Monday. I found it hard to focus. Found it hard to concentrate on anything. Found it hard to move my head. And my back was getting worse with pain. Couldn't really, lie, couldn't really lie down either, so sleeping was a bit of an issue. And of course, when you don't have enough sleep, it's harder for your body to recover. The antibiotics kicked in and they made me exhausted. They sapped energy from me. Because you have to remember, your body is fighting an infection. This means that all your energy is going towards the infection and not dedicated to really anything else. Your body don't give a fuck about anything else but the infection. Thankfully, I got the antibiotics because it was getting worse. So like I said, today is day four of antibiotics and I'm actually starting to feel a lot better. Yesterday was day three and I turned a corner, I felt. You know, the lump got smaller. I started to feel more energy. Now in the evening, I'm still pretty wiped. I'm still pretty exhausted in the evening. That's why I'm recording this first thing in the morning. It's why I wanted to record this podcast sooner. But honestly, I just haven't had the energy. So the course is for five days. And if it doesn't get better by then, I was told to return to hospital, but it does seem to be getting a lot better. So overall, how do I feel? Run down. Knocked for six. The antibiotics knocked me for six. That's an idiom for very tired. I feel worn out. Exhausted. I got some brain fog. I have to take it easy. I have to let my body do its thing. I have to let my body recover. I am absolutely wiped out. It's frustrating, folks. I want to swim. I want to run. I want to hike. 
I'm not used to sitting at home and waiting to get better. I'm not a lazy person. I'm incredibly active. I have one or maybe two more big swims this year, like timed races. So I'm hoping to be better by then. Now they're in September in about two weeks time. I, I know I have the fitness and I know I will be able to do them. But still, it's a little bit annoying that I'm unable to train right now because the time won't reflect my ability. But fuck it, I don't care. So, between the wildfires, the smoke, the panic, the antibiotics, it's been a hell of a week, folks. And in this case, a hell of a week is absolutely negative. Thank you all for listening. Alright folks, my name is Ronan. This is the Little Seal English Podcast. Please check out my website, littlesealenglish.com. You should 100% sign up to my Telegram channel because I do be posting a lot more there these days and a lot of shorter podcasts. Future plans. Um, Today is August 24th. I have a free training week running from August 28th to September 1st. I haven't really spoken about it because I haven't really been podcasting for August yet. So I do apologize for the delay and... uh, getting more content out there the free training week is dedicated to the salpip language exam it's a language test in canada for immigration purposes i've been teaching the exam for a long time and i finally put together a course even if you're not doing salpip you should sign up for the free training week you get a cool pdf and some language tasks and good motivation and a boost in confidence i guarantee you i don't care if you don't sign up for the course it doesn't bother me at all but i would love to see you at the free training week so that's littlesealenglish.com slash free selpip training c-e-l-p-i-p um if you go to my website in the top right corner free training week click on that and it'll bring you to the page to register other future plans i have a free podcast workbook coming out in september super excited about that like beyond excited happy as a pig in shit about that one uh, something i've been working on for quite a while and i can't wait to share it with you trust me you're gonna love it and i'm going to be launching my very first little seal english course not sell pip not academic english no fucking grammar and shit like that but like a real english authentic quick and dirty english course and oh, i'm so pumped for that Trust me, it's going to be the best English course in the fucking world. Yeah, I'm not lacking confidence or self-belief. Um, so once again, my name is Ronan. This is the Little Seal English podcast, a podcast from the heart, as a commenter said, which really made me smile. Uh, if you want to message me, please do. Ronan at littlesealenglish.com. I do read my emails. Send me a message. Let me know you listen to it. Just anything is good. I'd love to hear from you. You know, actually hear who you are, where you're from, or any requests that you have. And uh, yeah, please share the podcast with a friend. If you don't like it, give it to your worst enemy. I don't care who listens to it, as long as someone does, I guess. And uh, overall, stay happy, stay safe, stay healthy. Bye for now. I'm out.